0: The reading today is from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10, and it's page 1173 in your church Bibles. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're going to look at these um, verses from Ephesians 2 this morning. But in our sermon series over these, um, these weeks during this summer term, we're looking at what it means to celebrate God, to celebrate all that God is, all the different characteristics that he has. Well, not all of them. We haven't got time for all of them, but we'll look at many of them. We're celebrating all that God has given us, all that God has done for us, and all that God will do for us. So last week, as a reminder, we were looking at what it means for God, who is Creator, to give us creative gifts, and so everything that's at the, in the back of the apps this morning is an indication of that. I was tempted to ask the worship group to go and stand up there on mass as well as an illustration of their creative gifts as well, which they've, they've shown beautifully and led us as we've gone into worship, sung worship this morning. God's verdict when he had created was that everything was very good. It was all good. It was all very good. It was all fit for purpose. And there are days, aren't there, when we can believe that. So we gave thanks for Arlo this morning, that first cry of a newborn baby as the air goes into their lungs for the first time. The sheer joy of seeing God at work in that way. It was all very good. Maybe on, on a midsummer evening when you're walking on, along a clifftop and you've got the shimmering sea on one side and above you the Milky Way dripping like, like fruit from a tree across the sky in front of you. And Maybe even if you were in Hastings this last week looking at the thousand lightning strikes they had the other evening, some of the pictures of that are absolutely incredible. The sheer wonder of, and power of God's creation Maybe there are many other ways in which each of us has our favorite way in which we see God's hand in creation. God says it was all very good. It was all fit for purpose. But we know it's not always like that. We know that some of that goodness, some of that fit for purpose was damaged and destroyed and has resulted in fracture between people, between people and God, and between people and the created order. Look a bit more at the reconciliation of that next week. But it isn't it true, isn't it? When we look around at the news headlines, we maybe find it very hard to think of creation as being fit for purpose. Wars, divisions, 70 million people worldwide forced to free, flee from their homes over this past year goes up each year, it seems. There's a lack of love, there's corruption scandals, there's terrorism, we could just add on more and more to the list. When we look at our own lives, I guess we find similar contradictions. There are ways when we look at how we maybe helped somebody this past week and walked alongside them. But what is it about that person who at work who always winds me up? What is it about our web browsing history which some of us might be ashamed to show to somebody else? No matter how hard we try and avoid those particular sites, we're drawn back to them. Wonder how often we come with regrets and saying, I wish I hadn't or I wish I had. When we've fallen and failed and gone away from God in our own direction. Paul is very realistic as he writes to the Ephesians in our lesson this morning. He probes the depths of our humanity. As a good surgeon, we probe the depths of a cancer. But he also shows the glorious possibilities of transformation with God. And there's a huge difference. I don't know if you notice as we read between the first part of the reading and the second. The first part, we are right down in the depths. And in the second part of it, we're right up on the heights with God and that difference that comes because of Christ. The picture that Paul paints of our human experience is dark, but I believe it's realistic. The God who created us gave us instructions about the ways in which we should live We commonly call them the Ten Commandments, and we're used to them in in the phrase of you shall not, and then a whole list of things. I love it in the way when J. John does his, his just ten missions, he tends to reverse that and says, actually, what is it those commands are asking us to do? Not just what they're not asking us to do, but what are we being asked to do? And putting it in the positive, you shall be honest, you shall have integrity in your lives, you shall speak the truth. You should have faithfulness in relationships. You should respect others for who they are and what they have. If we live those things out, the world will begin to look as if it was fit for purpose. But sadly, that's not the direction we so often take in our own lives, let alone in our society. And Paul here talks about transgressions and sins which take us away from God. They're two slightly different words. A transgression is wandering from the path. There's a direction set for us and we walk in a different direction. The most extreme illustration of that I think I can remember from my own life in terms of of two different paths is um, up at the far end of Southampton Docks. Go up to the container berths there go past where the former um, KG-5 dry dock was, and you come up to the container berths, and there's a little sign which says, Pedestrians, and it points in that way. And that way is along the key wall. You've got a steep drop into the water on one side. The path is littered with bollards and with the mooring ropes of the containers. If you glance up, you've got containers whizzing across at a great speed as they load and unload the boats. And it looks very tempting to say, I'm not going to go down that way because it's difficult. I'm going to go across here because there's this lovely big open space with nothing in it. Unfortunately, that's where the straddle carriers are carrying the containers at great speed to and fro. You do not want to be there. You go down that path which looks as if it's restrictive, looks as if it's going to be difficult, because that's where you're going to find safety To ignore God's path is probably best summed up as I did it my way. It replaces God with our own selfish egos, with our own assessments of what is right and wrong. It won't really matter if I do this. It's not really wrong, is it? Nobody else seems to think it is. But God does. But we say, I know better than God. It's almost like somebody saying, I don't need the highway code to drive on this road. So what if everybody else is driving on the left? It won't matter if I drive on the right. That's where transgressions are, where we're going the wrong way. Maybe we try and do those restrictions so that we don't go the wrong way. But I wonder how far we live up to the standards we set ourselves. Sin which Paul talks about here. The word underneath it comes from archery. It means you fired at the target and and you've missed it. You've fallen short of the target. And I wonder how often we fall short of our own standards, let alone falling short of God's standards. And that's what Paul describes us as here. The standards we set ourselves, the promise to make ourselves that A dry January will mean that we'll have less alcohol consumption for the rest of the year. February the 1st, we're back to the same levels as we were before. Whatever those standards are that we set ourselves, which we fall short of, we also fall short of God's standards. But Paul indicates here that the problem is deeper than just the things that we do because it comes from our our, our minds. He says we walk in these things. Our whole mindset, our whole way of living becomes set against God's ways. It's not in our actions but our desires and thoughts, he says, that lead us away from God and ever nearer to the destructive deeds which damage ourselves and others and often perhaps not least the ones we proclaim to love the most. That downward spiral continues because we find ourselves trapped. Those destructive thoughts and actions hold us captive and f- ena- enable us not to be free. It's as if we're trying to swim and somebody every time we come up for air somebody pushes our head back under the water again. But how hard we try, we cannot free ourselves from those things. They have a grip on us. Paul goes as far as saying that we are dead, dead to what might give us life, blind to the glory that is in Jesus Christ and deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit, prompting us to walk in God's ways. Ultimately, he says, we are in a position where we find that we face God's judgment on us. The situation is that serious. It's a very dark set of verses, verses 1 to 3, which just point where we are, without Christ. Because here Paul puts two very simple words. Having painted this darkness in this picture, as if somebody has covered the canvas in black completely, as if the whole thing is in darkness, Paul says, but... God, but God. And it's a turning point. Yes, it is like that. Yes, it is dark and bleak, but God. And here is the good news. But we only see it as good news if we realize the despair that we're in beforehand, if we realize the depths that we sink to, if we realize how far we've slipped away from God's good purposes, in what he created in the first place. God is the creator, God, who makes everything very good. God is the God who gives us guidance on how to live so that it will be very good. And God is the God who redeems us and rescues us so that it can become very good. And it comes through a rescuer from the outside, not of what we do inside That's the good news in Jesus. We may have become dead and blind towards God, but God does not give up on us. He has great love for us, Paul says here. He says he is rich in mercy. He doesn't wait for us to put ourselves right before he begins to pour that love out. It's the love of a parent for a wayward child. That's the good news. That's the good news. And Jesus told a story about it, didn't he? Of a son who demanded his inheritance while his father was still alive. Basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want all your money now. The father gave the son all the money. The son goes away, squanders it all, and comes creeping back to the father. And what does the father do? Tells him to get lost because he's a wastrel. That may be how we would end up the story. Jesus doesn't. He says the Father opened his arms wide to welcome him. That's the good news that despite our rebellion against God, despite our going against everything, despite our transgressions and our sins, the Father is waiting there with open arms to greet us in love because of all that Jesus has done for us. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead because of our wandering away from him. In Christ, a transformation can take place. We can move from the bleakness of the first part of this reading to the glory of the second, to the sheer wonder of what the second part of the reading says. And it's all because of God's actions in Christ. Now, far from being dead, we are made alive in Christ. During his ministry on earth, Jesus said that he had come, that we may have life, life in all its fullness. Walking God's way in Christ is not a restriction to enjoying life. It's actually the key to doing so. Now, in place of being held captive by our wrong desires, thoughts, and actions, we come under the authority of God to walk in his ways. The God who cares for us. The God who wills the best for us. That it might be very good. And Now, in place of death, we're made alive. In Jesus' story about the restored son, the son is given a new identity when he comes back. Fresh clothes are put on him. A new ring is put on his finger. A great party is thrown to celebrate all that God has done. We have new life in Christ. A new identity in Christ. It's a makeover job beyond anything that a television program could even imagine from the bleakness of the open part of this chapter to the next part of the verses. God is at work. God is at work. And Paul says it's all down to two things, grace and faith. Grace and faith. Firstly, of grace, it's God who takes the initiative. It's God who works. In the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of God's Son, Jesus, A makeover is possible. In his life, Jesus lived out purity. He was tempted like we are, but didn't fall short or wander away from God's path. The life was very good. In his death, Jesus takes on himself our wrongdoing and provides the opportunity for us to be set free. A technical term for that is that he redeems us. It's the aspect of God that we're celebrating this week, of the God who steps in even when we didn't deserve it, even when we weren't perhaps even looking for it, in order to save us and to free us. In his resurrection, Jesus breaks the power even of death itself to open a gateway to eternal life. And in his ascension, Jesus shows his work is completed and is in a position to send his spirit that we might be empowered to live for God, to walk in God's ways, to show that it was very good. It's all done freely for us by God. That's grace. That's grace. It doesn't wait for ourselves to make ourselves perfect before accepting us. Grace means that God accepts us because of what Christ has done. It's all from the outside because we cannot rescue ourselves. It's a makeover that is freely offered. That is grace. And secondly, faith. The offer is made, but are we willing to take advantage of it? Are we willing to take it into ourselves, this love that God offers to us? There's a story that I think I first heard from Rabbi Lano Blue telling it of of somebody who'd fallen over the edge of a cliff. And it got caught on a a bush about halfway down. And um, began to shout, "How can anybody save me? Can anybody help me? And he eventually hears a voice saying, let go, I'll catch you. At which point the man turns around and starts shouting even louder, is there anybody else out there? Are we willing to take the help that God freely offers to us? Or are we scared of doing that? He offers it to us in love not to berate us, but to put his arms around us again and say, I'm going to change you. You're mine. I'm going to make it very good. It's an offer that God gives to each one of us. But what answer will we give when he offers it to us? It is this God who redeems, who we celebrate in our thinking this week. The God who loves us so much, who longs to rescue us, who longs to perform the makeover which takes us from the gloom and despondency of verses 1 to 3 to the glory of verses 4 to 7. And we celebrate that in our songs and our hymns. We've done it already this morning and we'll do it again in a minute. We celebrate by living our lives, not my way, but God's way Paul talks of the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to walk in the way in which God will change us and lead us and help us to walk in his ways walk in his path whatever the obstacles might be that are in the way to go and do that no I'm not pretending that those who have said yes to God's offer of forgiveness are going to be perfect You can look around us here this morning to see that. But God has said, I will change you. I will transform you. It will take time. And each of us is a work in progress. But God is always there for us. Always willing us on in his ways. God is there for us when we mess up. God's love will never give up on us. God's spirit is there to empower us and to enable us to live out what God intends us to live out, to make us the people God intends us to be, for it to be very good, for it to be fit for purpose. This is the redeeming love of God we celebrate this morning. Let's be still for a moment. Father, thank you that you did not leave us in the first part of our reading this morning. Thank you that in Christ you have stepped in to change us, to give us life, to help us to be free from those things which shackle us and bind us. Thank you that you have a future for us. A future which is glorious, both in this life and the next. Help us to receive your love. Help us to receive your spirit. Help us to walk in your ways. That we might bring glory and praise to you, our Redeemer God. Amen.